Welcome to Orion Valley. Happy New Year, film listeners. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. To kick off 2021, we have a nice little trilogy of episodes for you talking about movies that we didn't really want to place in a single genre. We just wanted to go all out and talk about them in every single aspect that we possibly could. So all three of my Los Angeles roommates have come on the show, Matt Clement, Scotty Kaufman, and Quinn Theobald to talk about Damien Chazelle's 2014 masterpiece, Whiplash. Thank you all for joining us in the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, We have not announced our newest series yet, but to lead you guys into it, we're going to be doing a couple episodes over the next few weeks um, talking about just some of our all-time favorites and ones that we didn't really want to just confine to a certain category just to throw them out there. Uh, This is a very special one. Uh, First of all, obviously, we're kicking off the new year, but we have um, all three of my L.A. roommates are on the show. Scotty Kaufman is back. Matt Clement is here. Quint Theobald is here. How are you guys doing today? Yo, Josh. Doing excellent. <laughs> great, to, great to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excited to talk about this and see where we go. Um, I, I never start an episode like this, ever. Um but I, I think for this one, because we obviously have a lot to say about it, and it definitely means something to us. Um, but we're talking about Whiplash and um, from 2014. Uh, but uh, is this a perfect movie? Oh, because oh, I... Oh, like, yes. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, because honestly, I was watching it last night, and I, I've seen it. Like This is like my sixth or seventh time watching it same and yeah i don't know man i it's really hard to find flaws and it was just one where i was like i i and each time it it gets better you know like i there's not many movies that do that for me but this one hits a very specific sweet spot for me so like what do you what do you guys think well well josh um as you remember the academy uh, nominated it for best picture and birdman won that year so uh clearly not a perfect movie if you ask me. <laughs> i don't know it's uh, perfect it's perfect for me honestly this uh, this is uh, like the one thing i say is always my favorite movie i have a poster of this like i usually bring it up within 10 minutes of conversation with anyone and I don't know. It's just untouchable for me. It's been my favorite movie since the first time I watched it. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't mention this when we were talking before we recorded. I literally just got a poster of this movie for Christmas. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yes. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God, this is such a good coincidence. Um, but, yeah, I just watched it the other day, and I I feel like I forget how incredible it is every time. And then as soon as you get that, that last scene with the performance, it's just – breathtakingly incredible like i don't really know what else to say about it (laughs) (laughs) well we're gonna have a lot to say about it yeah um (laughs) though i I wanted to start by uh asking everyone about their first time seeing it i mentioned on uh this was my second favorite movie uh, of the decade from 2010s we did that on podcast last year um and when i the first time i saw this it was actually kind of interesting because it was one that i had anticipated so much um and I built the hype up around it, like just for myself. Um, and 
it, it took me a while to actually be able to see it because I remember I didn't really hear about it um, until J.K. Simmons won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. And that was like the only one it was nominated for. And I was like, oh, what's this movie? And my uh, friend from back home had, had seen it. He said it was really intense and that I needed to see it. And there was a little indie theater in my hometown that was playing it that is no longer open. It makes me very sad. Um, and one night I asked my brother to go see it. It was like a Friday and he was too tired and we didn't end up going to see it. We were like, oh, we'll wait for next week to see what the times are. And then that that day was the last day that they were showing it. So I didn't actually get to see it until after the Oscars and all the wins that it got. And because the Blu-ray came out two days after the Oscars. Um, and as I, I got it that day. I was so excited. I ran home to watch it and I was just, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was also one that like I was in jazz band. So my band teacher had kind of hyped it up and would play the slapping scene like before he gets to where he swears, <laughs> he would play that for us. <laughs> just to be like, has anyone seen this movie? And like so many people like had actually seen it and, uh, and knew about it. Is he like um, threatening you with that or? <laughs> <laughs> actually, he showed that scene. And at the end of it, we all looked to our drummer and he was like, Hey man. And then my band director, who was this like scrawny, like 28 year old, like picked up a chair and pretended to throw it at him. Oh my God. <laughs> We all we all knew it was a good joke, but that was. I mean, wh- wh- when did you guys first see it? Um, I saw it, yeah, my freshman year in high school. I had not heard a single thing about this movie, but I had a an English teacher who I had a really good relationship with, and he just like out of the blue was like, "Hey, have you seen this movie? I know you're a drummer, and I know I think you would really like this. It, it's called Whiplash." I'm like, "I've never heard of that, but I'll, I'll I'll look it up." And I look it up on IMDb. It's like 8.6 rating. I'm like. I haven't seen a single trailer for this movie, but I mean, I'm down. I'm, I'm down to see it. And I saw it with my mom. She drove me to like some, yeah, some indie theater, like 40 minutes away. And it was either because it wasn't in all the theaters or it was like going out of theaters. But I immediately just like was, wow, this is this is a hell of a movie right here. I, I remember seeing it because my family was doing the mail-in Netflix still at the time because this was really before their streaming really exploded, I guess. And we rented it and I was like, oh, J.K. Simmons, like from Spider-Man. Like, (laughs) oh, he's going to be funny and grouchy. And then like watching him in this was... I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I saw it just at home. And then like, again, I was, I looked around and tried to find a theater to see it in because I was like, I want to see... Like, I want to see the spit flying out of these guys' mouths in the biggest screen possible. And I want to hear JK screaming at, like, you know, the loudest possible volume just because it is so crazy. So, yeah. And I think that was in that first year it came out. It must have been if it was still in theaters. Scotty? Yeah, I think that I watched it the first time we were just like with my family on demand when it was nominated for its awards and we had wanted to just like watch all of the movies that were getting all of the praise. And uh, I my first <laughs> instinct with it was to draw a connection to uh, one of the, the band leader at my high school, which I it's, you know, watching it two or three more times, not at all a fair comparison because <laughs> man, that's, that's no, no one is this person. Um, but yeah, I was uh, really stressed the whole time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is like, uh, 
an incredible, incredibly energetic movie. Like the way that, like the editing is kind of like a, a character in and of itself in this movie because of like how that really guides the story. And it's almost like, it's it's an assault in many ways, like the way that it's cut together and it it never lets you breathe, really. It's like actually it, it, each time it takes my breath away. Um, and I think were all of us involved in music in, in school in some way, like in high school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. like yeah. I said, I was a drummer, but uh, mm-hmm. I definitely relate to uh, the like, are you rushing or are you dragging scene? Like when I was part of the, I like volunteered for the semi-professional band and it was like hardcore conductors, not, not messing around or anything. And there was this one cymbal crash part. It was like, like just like out of nowhere. And I just kept messing it up. And I just, uh, I just wanted to curl up behind the timpani and like the whole band's looking at you, the conductor's losing his Uh, patience. It's like this movie really, you know, captures that super well. Yeah, I was in jazz band uh, all through high school. Um, it was always one of my favorite classes and the best music that I had played. I was I was a saxophone player, so I wasn't a drummer. Um, but it's all I love. I've always loved jazz music, and you know the way that it is represented in this movie. Not only just with the songs Whiplash and Caravan, but the score, like all of Justin Herbert's music, is just brilliant. And the you wouldn't also necessarily think like psychological thriller and like jazz music can go well together but right. there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of chaos involved in in both of them obviously i mm-hmm. mean psychological Definitely. thrillers is so chaotic in nature and supposed to kind of put your nerves on edge but mm-hmm. and you kind of think of it, it's interesting to kind of have the two energies go together like the thriller is almost a negative energy and then the jazz is a more positive free-spirited energy and they meld so well in this movie because it's, <laughs> it's brilliantly written and it's the acting is we'll, we'll get into the performances later but i, I want to know like this movie touches you. Like, I, I think that it's so easy also for people to watch this, even if they're not musicians. Like, what do you think it is mm-hmm. about, about this movie that even if you're not a musician that you can relate to or that you can attach yourself to? I think, you know, cause I wasn't super experienced with music. I did musical theater in high school and that was pretty much it. But even, you know, that or with sports, there's always that drive where you're like, I could be the best. Like, I know I'm not, but you know, what if I am? And I don't even realize, like you kind of get that sense of like, I'm really good at this and I could be great at it. Um, You could get that with a hobby or again, like sports or music or anything. So you really relate to that feeling of Andrew where like he says, I want to be one of the greats. And I know that I can do it if I just like hone in, but then I don't know. I mean, you see it become that obsession and that total Stockholm syndrome syndrome with, you know, music in general with him. And you can kind of see where that obsession becomes dangerous. Yeah, I'd agree with that because we, like Quinn kind of said, we all have thought about what if we were great at whatever it is that we like to do? What if we were like the best in the world, which is what Andrew is chasing here. And, you know, it's stressful because he's putting all of his chips on the table here and going to this school and uh, putting in the work that he does and so it's relatable to us because that that is the hypothetical that all of us have thought about. What if we were in this scenario? And uh, it's not the it's not as fun as it seems it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely the main 
what I took away from the movie most. Uh, another thing I think is just like we're looking at all this abuse that's being directed at Andrew, you know, and I think us as movie as the audience can be like, wow, at least that's not me. You know, I got problems, but at least I'm not getting chairs thrown at me and being <laughs> called a homo and like everything like that. Yeah. You, we kind of feel like the other members of the band just sitting there like, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here, you know, stand by and, you know, hopefully that won't be me. Yeah. There are many moments where you do feel like the, the other, you feel like another band member almost. And you're just like, you have to just like like the, the whole brass section is just like standing there looking down at the floor like they're just so <laughs> stoic mm-hmm. like they're literally just like statues in that or like soldiers almost because they they know that under uh terrence fletcher's direction that they could become what andrew wants to become and you don't you don't interfere with that in any way i, I think also the fact that you know we all went we all went to ithaca college we were all studying communications we all have an interest in the arts and uh in film and television and all that um I think that, you know, one of the things that's that really stuck out to me this time rewatching it, I try to kind of I try and pick up on different things each time. And I really honed in on the relationship between Andrew and his dad in uh, in this movie, which was already very strong. But the way that it's set up and his dad's kind of like, you know, there's always there's always you get there's always other options. And he's like, I don't Mm -hmm. know what that means. Like, that's such a real conversation that I feel like we've (laughs) all had at some in some capacity, like just wanting to because there's already a stigma around, um, you know, the arts or communications or whatever. And, you know, following something that's considered your dreams as opposed to going into something that's like a trade. And you want to convince people that you can do it and that it's possible. And, I think that's the other thing that he that Andrew's trying to convince himself, like not only that he can do it and show that his father, he can do it, but he's also trying to like say to himself that he's able to do it. So there's that great internal conflict there. um, That's also obviously very physical uh, and, you know, with others. But I think that there's always that point where you're like, I can absolutely be better than I am or that I can, I can push myself to improve. And that's one thing. But yeah, this is like, this is obsession. I like I like yeah. that you said that it's like Stockholm syndrome, Quinn, because it this is literally destroying him and he can't walk away. Oh yeah. Well I think and going back to what you said, like his relationship with his dad, you really uh see where how destructive Andrew becomes in that dinner scene with his uh aunt and uncle and his cousins, where like, you know, oh he's uh setting records at a D three football team, which like who cares? His, you know, his other cousin, exactly. His, his other cousin is in Model UN, and it's like they don't, they don't get how incredible what I'm doing is. And even though his dad is there, and his dad is kind of his like his check, where it's like you can't, you know, this is still family. This is still what comes first. And in Andrew's mind, he's just like, yeah, but fuck these guys. I'm a drummer. So you catch on quick, you and model (laughs) UN. I I, want to bring up something. Yeah. About that dinner scene. I think one thing that really I loved and I picked up from watching this last time is every single interaction that Fletcher has with Andrew, like that bleeds over completely into Andrew's Mm -hmm. personal life. Like that dinner scene is right after he gets made the core member of the drum of the drums mm. and he's actually able to like stand up for himself. Like when he gets, and when he gets into the band for the first time, that's when he asks out Nicole and, and like when he's being berated and everything, he's just 
a shell of himself. It's just 100% correlated to his success or failures in music. I, the, you, you talking about like, we, we've all kind of had that conversation with our parents kind of brought me back to when, uh, was looking at, when I was looking at colleges and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And there were really conversations in the car after uh, I was looking into like creative writing degrees and I would be asked like, are you published yet? And I'm like, no, are you published? Because I don't know what that takes. (laughs) And like, and like my mom was like, have you looked into business? Business could be fun. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Because there is an, an old, and, <laughs> uh, and that comes out of love, you know, like Andrew's dad is, is looking out for him because he wants him to be happy and healthy. But, you know, it's, it's, it is that obsession that uh, he needs to be, to achieve his goal of becoming great. So um, the film came out in 2014, uh, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, fucking the freak boy. of nature in terms of filmmaking. We'll get to him in a little bit. Um, talks about yeah. the relationship of uh, Andrew Neyman or Neiman, as he's referred to most of the time in the film, <laughs> portrayed by Miles Teller, who is a freshman at the Schaefer Conservatory for Music and um, ends up becoming a member of the studio band headed by uh, Terrence Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. And uh, he becomes, he realizes that J.K. Simmons is just this abusive conductor who is doing nothing but looking for the absolute best potential um, in his students. Uh, It premiered at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival and ended up winning the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize, which very rarely happens. It is also not based on, but they filmed the rushing or dragging scene as a short film to get funding for it. And they took that to Sundance and that won the Audience Award as well. And then we finally got the feature film a year later. Um, Film received um, mostly across the board critical acclaim. It won three Academy Awards out of five nominations, including Best Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Supporting Actor for J.K. Simmons. And it was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. Across the board, this was named one of the best films of 2014. It was also highlighted on many critics' lists for the best of the decade um, just last year when we were wrapping up the 2010s. I want to read a couple quotes from... Uh, from some critics because I think it really shines a light on what this movie like really encapsulates. So Peter DeBrigg, DeBerg, I think, um, in his review from Variety said that the film demolishes the cliches of the musical prodigy genre, investing the traditional polite stages and rehearsal studios of a top-notch conservatory with all the psychological intensities of a battlefield or sports arena. And I was going to do. I was doing a lot of research for this movie and listening to interviews with uh, Damon Chazelle, and he was talking about how, in many ways, this movie it's obviously a it's obviously a thriller. It's very psychological, um, but it's also kind of a love story in in a way. He said like between these hmm. two characters, and he also huh. said it has the rhythms of a sports movie, um, and he does oh. have a point. There's not a lot of movies in like about musical prodigy or about really the music scene in this let uh, not excluding musicals that have this same kind of bombastic nature and this you know veracity a lot of times it's a little bit more heartfelt it's a little bit more about like the family dynamic um but this one is like this one is violent oh, <laughs> which yeah. you never really um you don't you don't see in this genre i and i feel like yeah um that that is one thing that sticks out about this movie that really attached people because it's it's very entertaining and it's very you know it's filled with energy but it is like i don't know of many other movies that are like this and even like chazelle's other movies like la la land which we've talked on the show before and i i really love 
that one is much more filled with heart. You know, this one is much more like this is an ang- almost an angry movie. Um, and, and, and I say that in the best possible way. So, like, what do you guys think, like, really stuck out to audience members um, when this movie first came out and what made it stick with them? Well, I think that there there is something about the intensity of it. And while looking back at the movie, and yeah, you're right. It, it ain't no A Star is Born, sweetie. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it really comes down to like the structure for me because it the movie starts and it, it, it does a very efficient way of getting all the exposition out there. It tells you the two characters, what they want. Andrew wants to be great. And um uh, J.K. Simmons wants to make someone who's great. Fletcher wants to make someone who's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's kind of like we st- we start the movie, and you know the, the inciting incident happens right away. When you, you could say it's either when they meet each other and Andrew's practicing, or when and- uh, Fletcher invites him to the band. And there is no resolution after like the only resolution you get is that slight smile in like the last shot of the film. So. I think that what what really is so impactful about it is how it, it's just nonstop intensity throughout that entire time. You do not have time to breathe, like you said, because th- there's when he gets a win, it's not like it's a big one because there, there's still you know another intense moment coming two minutes after. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's I know, I know we're going to talk more about it, but I really think it's the performance, specifically by J.K. Simmons, that just is the engine of this movie, like. The, you, you, I, I went into this. I'm like, oh, it's the farmer's guy. Oh, it's the yellow M&M. You know, he's going to be, gonna be <laughs> doing whatever. But oh, my yeah. God, he has. J.K. Simmons is Mount Rushmore performances. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's another reason to watch this movie. It's like, oh, that guy is the guy who's going ballistic and just losing his mind. And I, I it's really up to the performance for me. Yeah, I this one, I think because you were just talking about like other musical movies and I just remembered like it or it feels like a lot of musical movies, like whether it's like Bohemian Rhapsody or uh, Rocket Man, which just came out a couple of years ago, like that. Those are usually like their life is the primary and then their music is like the result of stuff happening in their life. Like, uh, oh, what's the one about Johnny Cash? Walk the line. Walk the line. Like, yeah, there's literally a scene in there where, like, his wife says, you can't walk the line, Johnny. And then he (laughs) writes the song, I walk the line. So, like, you know, this movie is very much the music is first. And then his life is, uh, you know, changes because of that. You know, he gets the confidence by getting into the band. So he asks out the girlfriend. It's not he asks out the girl and gets the girl. And then his music is all of a sudden so much better. Like, I love that that dynamic is kind of switched and you, you, you focus on the music rather than focusing on Neiman per se. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a switch. Um, It's also, it's a very pivotal point in this kid's life. You know, we only get, it's, it's less than a year. I think that this whole thing happens, you know, we get the fall mm-hmm. and then kind of goes cuts to the summer. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I wouldn't necessarily classify this as a coming of age story, but it is a very like specific moment where he and the art that he is trying to make completely changes him as a person. And there's a lot to read about the final scene and what it actually means, which is one thing we'll talk about 
way later because I have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that kind of gets better as you watch it because there's different ways to read it. Um, but it's this contained point in this kid's life. It's also entirely focused on him. You know, it's really his entire point of view. He's, um, he's in every scene. Yeah, he's he, like Miles yeah. Teller has to be in the in every frame of this movie. And I wish that his career went in, you know, the direction we thought it would, because like at this time, you know, he had done he, he was doing like like the Footloose remake and 21 and over and that awkward moment and uh, the uh, Project X where he was just kind of the douchey, you know, bro friend character. And then he does the spectacular now and whiplash and everyone's like no this this kid is like he's one of the next greats you know he and then he gets wrapped up in those divergent movies and doesn't really make another like really and the fantastic four fantastic four stick Fantastic, yeah, that's right. Um, that movie is that movie is atrocious. It is an awful movie. Um, but I, I wish that we got more. He needs more movies like this. And obviously, we'll see. You know how he is. He's going to be in Top Gun Maverick coming out next year. So I, I hope he's good in that. But like, he oh, really yeah. is. This is a very good lightning in a bottle performance. Like everything that he's he is using all of his strengths in this movie and. I just wish it really kicked off for him. And then obviously JK Simmons, we have this whole backlog of a career with him in, in theater and television with Oz on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and obviously as in our generation, we love him as JK, uh, J Jonah Jameson, uh, in the Spider-Man movies. Um, but you know, he was more of a character actor. It wasn't, there weren't a lot of leading roles for JK Simmons. He wasn't at the forefront of a lot of movies. Um, and uh, Damien Chazelle even says in interviews that like, they weren't going to make the movie if like there are certain studios who are like, we'll give you this amount of money if you have um, someone else in it. And then we'll give you less if you have JK Simmons in it because they weren't sure if he was going to be marketable or not. And like, I honestly can't really picture anyone else in this movie besides JK. Yeah. Or Miles Teller for that matter. And I think both of their musical backgrounds really improved the movie as well. Cause JK you know, grew up like his, his parents were music teachers. He like played in bands and Miles Teller can obviously play the drums. And I think that really added to their performance so much. Yeah. After seeing the final, you know, picture uh, so many times now, I I can't think of anyone that could do like you have the moment where uh, Fletcher comes in and he's like, one of my old students just died and he has to confront the rest of the band about that. And he has them listen to his music. And then, I mean, within what a minute and a half, he's throwing shit again and is threatening <laughs> to kill people like to be able to switch on and off like that and have such a huge range. That's not like, obviously that is not common to come across. And he just does that perfectly. It is a I, very I wide. Sorry, go ahead, Scotty. Go. I just wanted to say first that I'm glad that Josh and Matt are both on a first name basis with their buddy JK. Um, <laughs> but, but also like, like we're talking about like how Miles Teller's uh, like, this was kind of like the peak of his career in, in performance, but like, he's only 33, like he's True. 33 and, and he lost a year of production to coronavirus. So like mm-hmm. I, I, there, there's still stuff out there for him. No, yeah. true. I def- I hope he. I, I hope there's. More. I just want more roles like this. Like I'm sure he'll obviously still be working. And I, I just, he's just so. He's honestly, he's perfect in this movie. Um, and his performance, like seeing the, um, the real change that he goes through 
throughout this this last time was so much more impactful to me like yeah obviously you see the you know there's you know him yelling at Connolly before he gets in the car crash is like a big like this is not the same character that we started with um but he's like it he's really wormy and he really sells that he's a freshman and like doesn't really um get out much or doesn't talk to people like there's that great shot in the like after I think he either asks Nicole out or somewhere around there and he's walking back to his dorm and everyone's partying and he literally just has to walk past a bunch of people who don't even acknowledge him to go into his room and you can totally see in that moment that he's just completely alone and you know no one really see no one sees him and then someone takes notice in him so he has but he has to be this he's also that kind of perfectionist and one he really only cares about one thing but he just has this kind of like like when i always love when 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 fletcher yells at him he's like god you are a self-righteous prick like (laughs) you could just like have that little moment where he snaps just a little bit because like honestly if any one of us were in this band i would hate this kid like i would just be oh yeah so so done with his shit like making me stay for band until two p two in the morning because you can't hit a fucking drum fill, like mm-hmm. <laughs> just be so pissed. <laughs> Obviously, as the audience member, you get to see, you know, you see it in a different way. But he sells this character so well. Yeah, and you don't really see, like, you know, you you have uh, the the original core drummer who he interacts with a lot. I'm blanking on the character's name, Tanner. Or, Tanner, Tanner yeah. yeah. So you have like a little bit of time with Tanner, and then you have some time with uh ryan the other drummer who comes in after him to you know motivate him like they find out at the end and johnny utah i believe his name is yeah, yeah. <laughs> his name is johnny utah. fuck you uh, johnny utah turn my <laughs> bitch <laughs> but like other than that like i what the only line you get from another member of the band is after he's lost tanner's folder and the pianist is like hey man don't touch my fucking folder that's the <laughs> only other interaction he has with anyone else there and you like that's kind of all you need to know like man this guy is a just an asshole and i don't, don't forget about don't forget about milk the cunt oh <laughs> I I forget. you're right my bad <laughs> i'm wondering who had his number to call him like hey man where the fuck are you we're getting on yeah that's right a good now. question <laughs> like, who talks to this guy like oh. outside of class <laughs> yeah i don't know um yeah who who knows um and and I, before we get into the critical stuff, I want to talk about Damien Chazelle, who I think is one of the uh, who just came onto the scene like no other director that we had in the past like few few years. I mean, <laughs> he, he obviously he had this was his you know first big smash because like he had he made a film called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which is a very short feature length um, musical. It's in black and white. It didn't really <clears throat> get him a lot of places, but then he does this, and then. Two, uh, two years after this does La La Land Crazy. and wins best director at the Oscars at 31, the youngest, the youngest person ever to do it. Dang. And then does first man two years after that, which is a really good um, story about Neil Armstrong. I highly recommend if you haven't seen first man, it's, it's very different for him, but it's very good. Um, and he kind of gets the blank check like immediately because like this one, uh, he he manages to make movies that are he he loves to twist the genre, but he loves to acknowledge what came before it, and they're all wholly original. So like Whiplash, obviously, <clears throat> like we said, kind of switches up the musical prodigy uh, or protege genre, and then 
La La Land is an original musical, but an ode to classic Hollywood. But also, like, I haven't really seen a musical like that. And wholly, like, completely for the screen. And, Mm -hmm. like, he's just, he just exploded immediately. And I, like, he's, like, one that immediately after this movie came out, we're like, yo, we got to watch, like, what this guy's going to do. And I, I, I bought a lot of stock in Damien Chazelle. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. He's he's like one of those celebrities who just like never wears the same outfit twice. Like that basketball player never wears the same shoes twice because like even like this to La La Land, both Whiplash La La Land, both very music centered um, movies, but entirely different stylistically, like, like insanely different. And, uh, it's it should be noted as well that like he he wrote it too like that's crazy he, yeah. he, he wrote he he just said to himself i'm gonna write a script that's lean and mean and put out whiplash insane Ugh. and you can tell I, he believed in it so much just because it went short you know short film and then he's like i'm gonna use this to actually get the funding that i need to make this movie because i know that it's gonna be a smash yeah and i know like we've talked about the performances a lot but from like a technical point like just thinking about how this is edited and how it's directed with the different like that the way that the camera is a part of that band and those band scenes between Fletcher and Neiman when you like they're in his face or like when it becomes a member of the audience like it is directed so interestingly and so intensely like it it makes you hold your breath how fast it is especially during the music scenes like it is incredible how how it can like really capture you and make you want to be there. And they had only 19 days to film this. I think that's That's wild. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Wow. So like they would do. And in like this interview I watched with miles teller, he would say like how efficient Damien was like, they would do, um, you know, two or three takes of a shot and then be like, okay, cool. Let's move on to the next thing. And, all the actors would be like, what, what really? Wow. Okay, cool. And like, you'll just really get right to it, but not in like a sloppy way. Like they're obviously on a time crunch, but he was efficient, but he had, he had everything planned. He knew exactly what he needed to do to get this movie out there. And in a lot of ways, he kind of mirrors this drive that Andrew has because he believes in what he's doing so well. And so wholeheartedly that he pushed really, really hard to get this movie made. And the fact that it did, and it came out as like in any other circumstance, an, a, a director has not even three weeks to make a feature film with this much like artistic value and like how intense it is. And, and it's an original idea. It's an original yeah. idea. Like it could have just been so sloppy, but it is so precise. And each shot is timed out perfectly. And he, you know, picked like it's one of those perfect, like everything came together at the right time. Like you're catching miles teller at just the right time. You're really pulling like the second, like career comeback for JK Simmons. Um, and it, it just all fell right into place. Like he couldn't have made this movie. Like he couldn't have done La La Land first. And then this movie, like it had to go whiplash to break on to the scene. Yeah, um, and so I, I love when a yeah. movie can do that and just be like everything, everything fell right into place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really commands your attention. You like, this is something where if you heard that this was someone's first movie and that it was this well acclaimed, and then after seeing it, it's this, like, I mean, it, it, it is burned into your memory uh, with just how unique it is and how stylish it is. 
Absolutely. Um, do you guys have any other general thoughts before we just break down the whole movie? It's a good movie. That's all right. <laughs> good, picture. Yeah. good picture. Good picture. Um, all right. Well, with that, let's let's dive into the critical breakdown. I think I, I love the intro. I do really love the intro to this movie. Um, you just hear that that ending, like slow building drum fill, and then just this like steady shot of Andrew practicing alone in this practice room, and you immediately get this quick interaction between him and Fletcher. Like usually, you'd think that Fletcher wouldn't come in until like a little later. Like you would only see like inklings of him or something mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. he, he comes on quick and he's like yeah i'm gonna have the best lines in the movie and you're gonna fucking like it like he's like um <laughs> your version of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey like that's great <laughs> like, and that yeah. first shot with that long cushion it almost feels like you're like obviously you're from uh fletcher's point of view but you feel like a predator just like stalking andrew as if like he's trying to find like that one thing that he's been looking for this whole his whole life yeah Yeah, it does have that kind of uh imminent like threat feel yeah see is kind of this like creeping in on him and you're like oh no like or like what's gonna happen and like as if something's gonna kind of jump on you and i mean this movie is produced by jason blum so like obviously it's gonna probably have some uh horror aspects to it um or you know uh tropes but yeah the you know, you automatically see how, like, it, it's fun to see you start with Andrew drumming and then you end with him, you know, drumming. And he's doing two completely different things. And I mean, I am in no ways, I'm in no way, shape, or form a drummer. So maybe this is wrong for me to say, but just seeing him start off with like the rudiments and just doing kind of whatever he wants in that first scene is like, you can see him like, okay, he's still new. He's just kind of. He has a lot to grow. And we even see that later when he's actually in band, not um, not Fletcher's band, but the um, uh, but the first band that he's in. And he's like messing up and everyone's like, yeah, it was a tough week without you here, Connolly. You know, Andy's been on the drums and like, you know, uh. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but you get this kind of sense of like, oh, this kid's like he's kind of failing right now or he's not failing, but he's kind of, you know, um, shit in the bed a little bit on drumming and he needs something to to pick him up and push him forward i i i like that you brought up the uh his his first little band too because uh in that first scene uh fletcher asked him to do double time swing and he can't do it it's incredibly difficult from what i would imagine i have picked up a drum maybe twice in my life and just had no idea what i was doing a whole drum um, you should pick up the uh, drum pick, stick pick, and pick, then pick, pick, pick. <laughs> i picked up the drum and i yelled at it and it didn't make sense. <laughs> he, he tells him to do double time swing and he's not really looking for a, a good drummer i i don't think but he's looking for he, he comes back and he asks andrew to play the same thing he and Connolly the same thing when he visits the band to see if Andrew practiced and it was that like um the the stress of being in Fletcher's presence and the the tenacity to get better at it that did make him practice and made Fletcher bring him on to uh as his project yeah that's a good point yeah you bringing up that first scene I didn't realize this but no one sees Andrew's you know beginning to end other than Fletcher he sees him 
you know, I imagine in the first week or so of that semester of his freshman semester at this conservatory and he's in the practice room alone and it's late at night. And so Fletcher, you know, finds him by accident. And then he's there at the end of the year at the summer with his own band. Like no one sees start to finish Andrew's journey other than Fletcher. And that's insane to think about. Yeah, it's fun to see him kind of. That was the other thing that kind of stuck out to me also, uh, just in terms of Fletcher and what he's doing. Like the whole thing, obviously, with he brings up Charlie Parker a lot and how, you know, Charlie Parker came, you know, started off and just kind of he fucked up. And then Joe Jones throws a symbol at his head and forces him to go home and practice. And then a year later, he becomes becomes Bird and, you know, one of the greatest musicians of of all time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see to also understand Fletcher's drive. And obviously that doesn't necessarily that doesn't uh, totally exonerate him for what he does. And we'll get into that a little bit later because that's the big question in the movie. But you to actually fully think about and that's why this movie is fun to watch like multiple times to think about how every single decision that Fletcher made was to completely, you know, break Andrew out of his shell and get this musician that Fletcher always wanted to see and in a selfish way um, and get Andrew's full potential to come out to prove to himself that he had done it is insane to think about in a good way. Like it is absolutely crazy. The lengths that this guy went through, like every single step, even telling him that band starts at six and making him wait around for three hours till the band shows up is it's it's amazing. Like it's so well well written. Yeah, the manipulation that just goes on throughout the entire movie. Like his his first his first time in the studio band, he's like, "All right, uh, take a ten minute break." Then the squeaker's on. Then he's talking to him. He's like, "Oh, what does your mom do? What's your dad doing?" He's like, "Oh, your mom left you, and your dad's a writer." Oh, well, just have fun out there. And he actually ta- he tells him the the Joe Jones uh, Charlie Parker story there about him throwing the symbol at his mm-hmm. head. So he pretty much says like. I'm going to fucking throw a chair at you and try and make you Charlie Parker, but I'm not going to actually <laughs> yeah. tell you that and you're not going to see it coming. This is what I love about their relationship because I feel like the entire time from Fletcher's point of view, because Fletcher's goal is to be the Joe Jones that, you know, creates the Charlie Parker the entire time. And I thought about this when we we're talking about uh, Andrew and how the other band band uh, members probably hate him. It's all about Andrew Everything that he does, the, you know, Tanner, the old drummer who can't, who, who needs visual cues like that wasn't going to be Charlie Parker and Connolly, who comes after is just pressure on Andrew. Like he, I, I feel like, you know, watching it back, Fletcher, just, if you look at it from his point of view, he, he's putting all of his chips on Andrew this year. And, uh, it seems like it, it pays off. He's happy with his choice, even though he loses his job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it's, I also wanted to ask this question. I, I probably should have asked it a little earlier, but like Scotty, you mentioned you had like, you know, you, you had your band director who you all like related to uh, this movie in, in yeah. a little, a, a small amount, you know, um, I, I, did anyone have that professor, whether in high school or college, who was maybe a little tough, but like the person that you really wanted to impress and really wanted to show, you know, that you had something that you wanted them to be like, okay, yeah, good you know, you, this is great, great work. I remember uh, the first semester that I transferred to Ithaca my junior year, I had to take uh, one of my filmmaking classes um, with a professor who was extremely hard, who was very hardcore and was, you know, he was a 
a documentarian and we were doing a lot of features and uh, mm-hmm. or narrative films. And he was, you know, very critical, very um, a lot of times just very subjective as opposed to objective. And it was frustrating, but he was very much like he cracked down hard and there were, and it was my very first film class or film production class at Ithaca. So I was like, well, I got to show these guys what I got. So I like, and he would like really beat down sometimes on what I was working on. And, you know, finally at the end, he said I did a good job with my movie. It was actually, you know, think it came together well. And I was very proud of that, but it was one of those things where, and obviously it's not the same level of abuse that Andrew goes through, but it was like, there were times where I was like, I got to get this guy to like me. Like I need to have him see that I'm, you know, I'm trying to do a good job. Um, and that drive, you know, that fire ignites in you. Did anyone have uh, a professor like that in high school or college? Oh yeah. I know, uh, my, uh, fiction production professor at Ithaca. I mean, they're still the best professor I've ever had, I think, or teacher in general, just like whether it was inspiration or experience or like, you know, helping build actual like usable technique. And I know for like, you know, it became sort of a weird obsession where for that final project, I was up all night working on it. And then, you know, that for the final showing that professor said it was unshowable and it wouldn't be in the final screening. And I mean, that still keeps me up at night just to know that like, Oh my God, I really fucking drop the ball for this and that was the one person that i wanted to impress so that yeah that feeling of like having a having a mentor that you just want nothing more than to like get their approval and they are just dangling it in front of you and you screw it up and you drop the ball oh my god it's the worst Oh man, I'm so sorry, Quinn. <laughs> I yeah, my bad. <laughs> I didn't mean to, didn't mean to bring that out there. <laughs> I mean to bring bring the Zencaster room down. Uh, my bad. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Uh, I'm not sure if I've had this kind of obviously not to this level of just abuse, but you know, I've had I've really kind of just been my own worst critic more than my, my teachers. Cause you know, they're, they're doing things from a, from a curriculum, from a rubric. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm sort of the flesher of my life more than another person being that. I, I love that you say that because oh. I feel the same way sometimes, especially watching this movie. Um, and well, hang on, Scotty, did you have anything to say to that? Well, uh, one thing I wanted to say is that I think that I had a class with the professor that you talked about, Josh, and I very much had a similar experience with him because I wasn't really like a, I'm not a video production person. I was just kind of trying to learn it and having someone that was so critical made me want to put in the work to uh, impress him. But yeah, the the band leader in, in high school, I was not in the band, but I had like heard stories. I'd interact with them because I was in the choir. I was a singer and I'm rubbing my uh, hand through my hair right now. I was, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I worked drum, with him. Right? Yeah, I was picking up drums and he yelled at me for it. Um, and <laughs> I, but I worked with him in the musicals and I always remember being like so intimidated, like going out there and, and having to play with him directing the uh, pit and I did always like really do my homework the nights before because I just hit his presence just made me want to, you know, be good and uh, get some validation. I think you see that a lot in, uh, in musical theater too. I know I had some directors through my years of doing musical theater that I was like, okay, I cannot uh, be the guy who dropped the ball. Like I gotta like show <laughs> that I've been practicing and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I wanted to go back to what Matt said because that's one thing that I really relate to too. Like I am very much my own worst critic and like can be hard on myself. But it that also shows in this movie really well because there's that all those great cutaways um, where he's practicing and he like even after uh, he you know breaks up with Nicole, he's like you know playing and like slamming on the on the symbols he's like fuck you you fucking piece of shit like he's so mad like he's so mad at himself and just like so frustrated and like then there's that next cut where he's just clearly just so worn out um and that's another thing where it's like yes he's he's getting this high level of abuse from fletcher but he's also like really tearing himself down because of it like obviously it's a direct result of the of fletcher but it's like he cannot rest unless he has fully practiced or um you know really progress like when he punches his snare drum like that's the like absolute utmost amount of anger and you feel it like you just feel like oh my god like he he just can't get forward and it it sucks but it's also just like oh man i i feel bad for him yeah honestly yeah i mean right in the beginning after he gets into the band and he moves his mattress down to the practice room. You you kind of see the beginnings of that where it's like, Oh, this is going to be all he thinks about. It's going to be the only thing driving him for, you know, God knows how long because he, I mean, he literally won't sleep unless he's practiced and you see how hard he's pushing himself. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. They also set up, I want to get to the, not my tempo scene uh, in just a second, but I think, they, it, this movie has really great setup and payoff, which is something that I love to see in a movie. Definitely. So especially with the Connolly character, because the uh, with the Connolly character and with Nicole, because with Connolly, he's this like super pretentious and pompous kind of douchebag. Um, who's like, yeah, I'm the main, I'm the main drummer of the band. Like, hey, Andy, it's okay, don't worry about Fletcher. He's more, he's more bark than bite. And and then. You know, he ends up coming back. Like when you watch that movie, I always forget Connolly's in the story until Fletcher goes like, as a matter of fact, I you know saw a kid in the practice room working on his double time swing. He comes in. He's like, am I late? Like, I was like, oh, fuck, I totally forget that he's like he comes back. <laughs> like it's yeah. that's that's so well done. And then with Nicole, um, when he goes on that first date with her and she says like, I had, I had also forgotten that she says like she's going to Fordham, but she doesn't know what she wants to do. And it's like it's an awkward, you know, conversation because obviously Andrew is so like narrow minded and very much just um, socially kind of narcissistic, inept. like very narcissistic. But like, you know, she's when she says, I don't know what I want to do. You can kind of see that light go down in his eyes a little bit where he's like, Oh no! Is this girl going to be a distraction for me? Is this like this is going to be it's going to be an issue? Like that's really good setup, and then it obviously it comes back, it centers around later, um, or it circles back later. But the it's so well set up, and you also care for them. Like you're like, oh, this is actually kind of cute. Like the, like he's he's breaking out, he's having you know he's connecting with somebody else, and like trying to uh, branch out of just music, um, and you know. His, and the fact that his father is like saying like, you know, go out and like do all these things. It's, it, it's sweet, but like, you know, then it, it accentuates the point later and really affects the a plot, which is Andrew's, um, you know, his whole journey. So it's, again, I can't stress enough how also just well-written the story is and it's effective. 
Yeah, I, I about the the um, Nicole character. It's really cool because it's right after he right after Andrew, like, gets a win in the band room that he is, has the confidence to ask her out in the first place. And it, it's it, yes. it all comes it all comes back to the band room. And it's after he, you know, after he fails that he then realize then, then he thinks, OK, I'm actually not practicing enough, which is ridiculous. He's practicing the entire time. Um and then, and then he decides to break up with her. And he, like you said, when, when he's like, uh, when he's thinking to himself, is she going to be a distraction? Is, is this not right for me? It, it all comes back to his career when he does break up with her and she, you know, walks away in the script. It says a dot, dot, dot. Did I fuck up? Dot, dot, dot. No, I'm good. Because he is so focused on his career that even this like wasn't, if, if it was by any chance going to distract him, it, it, it was worth it just to, you know, cut the tie. So sad, other, but, but yeah, so good. The other thing that's really cool too, that I didn't notice is there's that, that scene. I think it's before he goes to like back to his dad's house on the train or on the bus. And he's watching a video, like a drumming video. And then she texts him and his text like kind of pops up right in the middle of the screen and pauses yeah. the video. And he just has this look where he's like really contemplating. He doesn't respond to it. And he's just like, Oh no. Like that's really good nonverbal storytelling. Mm-hmm. He's almost annoyed by it. He's like, ah, she's messing up my drumming video. Like she's already in the way. And then like you find out when they meet up at the coffee shop, she's like, so I already barely see you. And when I do see you, you treat me like shit. Like he's a terrible boyfriend, but he doesn't yeah. care at all. All he's thinking about is, all right, now I get to practice an extra hour instead of, you know, texting my stupid girlfriend all night. <laughs> like, he's brutal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing is the audience doesn't feel threatened by Andrew, too, because he's so wormy. And, like, we're always like, dude, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's so good because it's like he and there's also it's good because it, that we would say that because it's like there's literally there's no way to get through to him. And you can tell that he has been like to the absolute edge and is still going to go there. Um, and that's the only way to get him to kind of turn back around. Yeah. Do you guys want to get into that? We got to talk about the rushing or dragging scene. It's one uh, of the best. Oh, my God. Movie scenes. Josh, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the best movie scenes in the last 20 years. I think of definitely of this century. I think it's, I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know how like there's, there's always like the, the f- lists of famous movie quotes. And a lot of them are like from classic movies, you know, like, yeah, yeah. frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn or, um, uh, like here's looking at you kid, like all the classic ones. I always think like in like 50 years, what are going to be the ones from this, this century or 2000 on? I definitely think that, um, I'm the captain now from Captain Phillips was yeah. one that I was like, yeah, that's an instant classic line. And I think the other one is from this scene is it's, you know, not quite my tempo. I think that that's going to be that's going to be one that really lives on because of how like prominent and like how he keeps saying it and how purposeful it is. Um Again, I would I would argue you got ten minutes. You fucking pathetic pansy ass fruit fuck would be in the conversation. <laughs> but, but I'll agree to disagree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> he has uh, all of his insults. Just in, it, there's no fucking Mars bar down there. What are you looking at? Oh, that <laughs> like they're so watching it. This they time. should not be this funny. Like they're just like you feel almost like a like a 
part of a bully's crew, like, laughing at them. But, oh, my God, like, the writing's just so good. Yeah, there's a lot of really great... Uh, I wish I... Hang on. Let's pause for a second. Is someone... who? Is anyone else hear that crackling? Yeah. Yes, I do. What? Is it... Uh, that's you, Matt. Matt. Oh, um, yep, that's Matt. <laughs> Matt, tap your mic really quick. Hmm. That's weird. Do you hear it, Matt, by chance? No, I don't. Yeah, try maybe turn? try... Yeah, just unplugging it or plugging it back in real quick. All right. Sorry. Oh. Okay. All right. This is how, a lot of fun. No? It's All right, it's fun. Yeah, it's gone. Okay, good. Sorry good, about good. that. If that happens, just, just um, stop me. No, you're good. Can you, you actually like say something else just to make sure it's gone? Uh, check, check. One, two, check, check. Okay, good. We're good. Um, um, but the whole scene, like, it's a long scene. Um, that's why like they cut it up to make they you could make it a short film because all of the themes are like really pr- present in the movie. Uh, are in that scene like starting it off with him you know uh just tuning with the band and how out of place he is and then you know fletcher comes in and they just automatically start with whiplash and everyone's just dead silent um you know and they they played the the band played these songs live they sound fucking awesome like whiplash is just an amazing jazz Mm -hmm. song um Mm -hmm. and just you get the little inklings of you know how hard he is like just you know, first off, you know, when they when he first cuts the band off and he's like, Parker, that's not your boyfriend's dick. Do not come early. You're just like, oh, <laughs> oh, <okay." laughs> one thing I noticed yeah. is I, there's I, not or from what I can tell, there's not a single female in the advanced band. And it's really just like a culture of toxic, like toxic masculinity that Fletcher's using to kind of push them. And it's just so ugh, just gives me a chill. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. No, you're so right, Matt. There's not Nicole is like the only you know, prominent female character in there in this whole movie. And Fletcher like even says sexist things too. Like when he's in the original band, he says to the girls playing sax, he's like, um, you know, okay, you're a first chair. Let's see if it's just because you're cute. And she messes up and he's like, yep, that's why. Like, it's yeah. so <laughs> like, you're right. I shouldn't be laughing at these things because they're awful, but <laughs> they're so creative. Like, Honestly. Yeah. And then yeah, he I- tears into that one guy that uh nets about the you know the out of tune thing uh yep it's br- yeah, it's calls him elmer uh, fudd <laughs> so mean he, he so tears mean into fun. him and and it's and it's it's uh fletcher you know staring him right in the eye as he's looking down and after he screams at him saying like um uh, I, I forget what the actual line was, but he, he wasn't actually wrong. He wasn't actually out of tune, but oh, he then, then why didn't you say so is what he screams at him. Um, and then he's and then he stands back out of frame and you just see Andrew watching them, which yeah. gives us like it gives us the perspective as Andrew watching this happen to somebody else. And then it happens to him right after and uh, Fletcher in his face, almost like an identical shot to the one we saw before. Uh, very creative. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, when he's uh, for the record, Mets wasn't out of tune. You were Erickson, but he didn't know, and that's bad enough. Yeah, like, yeah. and I, I know you mentioned this earlier, but the uh, when he goes out into the hallway and he's like, you know, your parents musicians, you know, and um, uh, you know, what do they do? You're just the only. You're just interested in music, and he's like, he's really, he's pulling him in. Like you said, it's manipulative. It's so manipulative, just like him. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. ammunition and like trying to get get, uh, get to know him, but then he's just like, okay, um, I'm gonna make. I got to make him feel comfortable so that he's still like you know on board. Just be like, you know, just don't worry about those guys. You know, just you're here for a reason. You know what you're doing. Like, just go, just go have fun. And even like in the band, he's like, you know, Neiman, you know, just just do your best. You'll be fine. We'll slow it down a little bit. Put some fills in there. You know, so we got Buddy Rich here. But then as soon as he cuts off, oh, everything changes. Man. You just feel the room just be like, oh no something's coming yeah and it's the like the energy completely switches and you know he just keeps doing the you know you rushing or you dragging like he's like you know rushing just a little just a little bit and he keeps stepping closer and closer and closer to him until finally he lets him play and you're like okay maybe he's maybe he's right and then he throws the chair at him and you're like this is a completely different movie now (laughs) it's yeah, I mean, again, I, I know I said earlier, like, J.K. Simmons is covering the entire spectrum in this movie. But, like, just this scene, he is so manic and so, like, just all over the place between, like, hey, we got Buddy Rich here. Like, just, like, the fun, like, cool guy teacher. And then just, I mean, like a drill sergeant just screaming Ugh. and slapping him. Just, like, like literally making Andrew cry. It's insane oh. how far he goes. He was actually slapping them for those those cuts, <laughs> like they they were doing it you without can, it like, at first, and then they're like, uh, let, let's just do it. Let's just do a couple where it's real, yeah. and that's the ones you see. Like Miles Teller's face is bright red by yeah. the end of it. Like he's getting messed up. One other thing I yeah. I noticed is like when he he's like, oh, in ten minutes uh, the squeaker's on. Like oh, he, we got the squeaker here, and like later. When he's talking about Sean Casey, he's like, uh, uh, to be honest, you know, he just squeaked in here. And then I'm, then you really start drawing conclusions. You're like, oh, so Andrew, yeah. he's not a squeaker because he's little. He He's a squeaker because he squeaked in. And he could be the next Sean Casey if, you know, things don't go his way. Yeah, they kind of set up the fact that he's, only, he's there by happenstance. You know, he's just... Like it, it is kind of purely almost by coincidence to start, or at least you kind of think it is. The fact that you know he just happened to be there, and he, even Fletcher yells at him like later when he's like, um, "You know, the only reason you're a core member is because you misplaced a folder. The only reason you're in studio band is because I told you, you know, what I'd be looking for exactly back in Nassau." I mean, obviously, again, it's still part of the psychological game, but like you're like, "Oh man," like yeah, he just kind of is just getting by. And can mm. easily is like one step away from just having it all end. And, you know, later, obviously, we, we see that it does. But, yeah, he's like he's slapping him. And like when he literally the the one conclu- the one thing that I noticed this time that like blew me away that somehow I didn't notice it before. So back to when he's out in the hallway, remember, he's like. Um, uh, just, you know, relax. Just don't think about the numbers. You're here for a reason. And then Andrew's like, yeah, and he's like, say it. He's like, I'm here for a reason. He's like, good, go have fun. Makes him say it. And then when he's yelling at him, oh, he's like, yeah. you, you know, you're upset, right? He's like, yeah, say it. You know, say it so the whole band can hear you. And he makes him just like humiliate himself and just be like, I'm upset. You know, I'm upset. It is devastating. Like that he pulled him in with that and be like, yes. And now he's like, no, you're on, you are under my control now. Like you are mine. And it is Oh, it just, it goes on. It never ends. 
seriously that that's like a you're happy when i say so and you're sad when i say so it's it, that that's crazy yeah i he just I, I mean again i keep coming back to like stockholm syndrome like he really sets him up to be dependent on fletcher for this emotional response it's like i am the one that is dictating what is on your mind what you think about before you go to sleep you know, like he says, I told you exactly what to practice with the double time swing. Like he dictates as much of Andrew's life as he can through this manipulation and through like, cause he knows exactly how to do it. He's done it before with Sean Casey. He's done it with the rest of the band. You know, he like, he knows what buttons to push to get these reactions that he's looking for. Yeah. And he does say that thing, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like he says that later when he's like, I, I was there to push people beyond what was expected of them. And I, I do definitely believe that, but <clears throat> it's the best part about it is that you can clearly see the divide and I, of like him being a normal person, like the whole thing at the, uh, <laughs> at the first competition when he's, Andrew's like out in the uh, in the in the room, but he's looking out in the hallway, and he's like talking to his one friend, and is like, "Oh, are you like to his daughter, like you're gonna come play in my band with me when you when you get up, like, all right, yeah, give me five. And then he turns around, and he's like, "All right, cocksuckers, like hurry yeah. the fuck up." It almost <laughs> seems like Gordon Ramsay, like with uh, Master Chef Junior. He's so sweet to all the kids, and then he gets to like uh, you know, Master oh Chef, God, or Iron yeah. Chef, and he's like, "You fucking donkey!" Like tearing. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, it's funny you say that. I would. I was rewatching. Um, a, a scene from it on YouTube and the top comment was Gordon Ramsay does this all the time and he has like 16 Michelin stars and and, uh, and a show on Fox. <laughs> I was like, you're so right. <laughs> like, I can't can't yeah. really blame you for that. But um, I mean, Gordon Ramsay doesn't hit people. Yeah. Like, you know, he doesn't. <laughs> True. But yeah, and you, it all comes back to that when, you know, in those last couple scenes when Andrew and Fletcher meet back up at the jazz club and Andrew asked me, he's like, isn't there a line? Like, isn't there such a thing as going too far? He's like, not for the right guy. You know, I'm going to push as hard as I can. And if you break, then you weren't the next Charlie Parker. And like, that is just, you know, that's where he's at as a mentor. He's like, if I, if I break you, you weren't supposed to be here in the first place. And that is like sadistic. Don't get discouraged. Yeah. That's right. In in preparing a lot for this, I keep thinking about the question, like, is Fletcher a bad person because he does the things that he that because he, he is like an abuser and he's a manipulator. And all of those things would lead you to believe that he's a bad person. Or is that just the character that he pl- has to play to achieve his goal of making the next great superstar musician? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but he seems like a soft person and kind person when he's outside of that uh, band room. So there's, there's validity to the argument, I think. Yeah. I want to, I want to save that because that's a big part of the ending, but oh, sorry. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I just to comment on that. I think that <laughs> Jesus Christ, Scotty. Sorry, 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 sorry. He's, I mean, he's bad. He's a bad person. Uh, continue. <laughs> I, I, I do think you're right that it is. He has to, he is doing that to get the result. I think he is, I think he believes what he says, but he does have to kind of play up that part to push his students in his mind. That's what he thinks he has to do to get the next, the next great, to get the next, you know, great artist, to get the next great musician. He, I think wholeheartedly believes in what he is doing. Um, And, 
you know, whether or not it's justified is something that we'll talk about later. But I do think you're right that, you know, he has that ability. And I think it was right on the film to have those scenes like before the first rehearsal um, to and in the jazz club later to make him be like, you know, this dude is, you know, this dude still is a person. But that makes the moral question so much, you know, more impactful. And I love that. Um, to kind of go back to that, I, I want to talk about that uh, first competition scene. Um, really good scene. Couple, first of all, it's got you know a really good line when Fletcher's like, um, "Why would you give? Why would you give the folder to Neiman? If you give a calculator to a retard, he's going to try and turn on a TV with it." <laughs> so, yes. so awful, like yeah. so bad, <laughs> like not okay. But like the first time you hear it, you're like, "Who the fuck thinks like that? Like who comes up with a line like that?" Yeah. Um, oh, this is also I wanted to talk about Tanner. I think he's kind of the one sort of weak spot in the movie because he's really good later in the scene where like all three of them are like circling out drummer to drummer. He's doing some really good like facially distressful acting. Mm-hmm. When he loses the folder, he like unleashes in kind of an un like in a very uncalled for manner. Where he's just like, find the fucking folder, you dumb fuck, <laughs> a dumb fuck. It's like, all I- right. I kind of like that because then like that is sort of a like maybe foreshadowing or maybe it's just, you know, the echoing, but like when you see Andrew flip out on, uh, on Ryan later on at the next competition, you know, Johnny Utah, like it is sort of that same thing where like all it took was one thing to go wrong. And all of this pressure that Fletcher has put on you just has, they go somewhere and you know, it was the folder. It was forgetting his sticks and then it's a you know a getting hit by a semi truck later on, so I I do agree. I don't think he's like this scene for Tanner is like you know the highlight of the movie, but I do think it makes sense considering uh, Johnny Utah and yeah. a couple scenes down the line. <laughs> I have a question for you. Guys. There is something to be said also. I was going to say that like we we do kind of have like this very thin scope of Andrew's experience in the band, but seeing how Tanner reacts to that shows that maybe this kind of pressure, everyone is feeling the same pressure that we're feeling through Andrew's shoes, but you know, that, that that's all. Yeah. Do you guys think Fletcher took the folder? Okay. No, I, I actually, I know the answer to this because it's in the script that at the end of the, um, at the end of the competition, like after they've won and uh, like everyone goes off stage, a janitor comes by and gives him the folder it's like, oh. sorry, I took sorry, I took this or something. Um, like, I, I, I wish it was much more of a bigger question of where the folder went, but it's in the script. I think they just took it out to make it more of a mystery and to make the movie flow better. Um, and, and I think it does. I ultimately doesn't. I don't really think it matters um, because if the answer is that a janitor took the folder, then it's not really that consequential or important as to who took it. The point of it was the folder went missing and then the fallout from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that Fletcher's such like a manipulator that I honestly like convinced myself that it was him. Like he know like he when Tanner's like, Oh, you know I need these visual cues and you know, that could have Fletcher could have known that would be the one thing that would push Andrew over, but I guess that's the answer. Yes. Yeah. Good point though. Um and again, like like we said before, the fact that um, you know he gets to play Whiplash and Caravan, um, or he plays he plays Whiplash in this one, uh, and they end up winning. 
Like, that's really great. That's really cool. And now he's kind of on, you know, cloud nine. And that's when he goes back home to the dinner scene. Um, and this movie is like the, the, the runtime and the pacing is so tight. Like, it's so good because it like not a single moment is really wasted. Um, and if you if you read the script or go look at some behind the scenes stuff, I mean, there are some extra stuff, obviously, that they cut out. There are obviously deleted scenes in any movie, but what they cut out was good that they cut out. Like there was like a couple extra things with Fletcher's backstory that wasn't really necessary. There was, there was a whole speech that he had at the end of that first competition leading to the janitor, bringing the folder back. I don't really think that that's necessary. Um, and like this, the line that you said, Scotty, where it's like, Oh, did I fuck up? No, like it was good that they didn't have that. Um, and so like as, as a result of that, as I was watching this, I was like, Oh, it's this scene. Oh, it's this scene. Oh, it's this scene. Oh, it's this scene. And the, the family dinner scene for me is the one that kind of sneaks up on me because it's at first, like for some reason I was like, Oh, okay. It's, Oh, it's the, it's the dinner scene. It's probably not going to hold up as well. Uh, no, it's actually incredible. The the dinner scene is so well written. Um, and so fast, like the dialogue is so snapping. You really get the weight on Andrew's shoulders and like kind of the disapproval from his family. Like when he says he has that great line when the conversation switches where his uncle's like, do you have any friends, Andrew? He's like, no, I never found the use. You're like, Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even when his uncle or his dad is like, well, he died at 35 drunk and full of heroin alone. And Andrew's like, I would rather die at 35 drunk and alone than live to 80 and, you know, and have, have no one know. Yeah. Yeah. And have no one know who I am. Like that is a brutally honest line. And that's all you really need to know about his character to like understand why he's going through with Fletcher in the first place. It's that, you know, like he's put, like he believes in himself so much that he's going to, you know, shit talk his own family and be like, I'm better than you guys. And I know that, and I'm going to fight for that. And that's why I'm putting up with all this bullshit. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, he, he has some great, insults back at his family you know it's like um oh you think you know you think our football team's not so great come play with us four words you will never hear from the nfl (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man Uh, or even like the part where he's like um uh oh shit what is it or yeah just like you know i believe being the greatest musician of the 20th century is anyone's idea of success and then when his dad's just like Oh, like one of his one of his cousins is like because they just won the competition, and one of his cousins is like, "How do you how do you win a music competition? Is it subjective?" And he's just like, "No." <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't even give him the time of day. And it was, and the dialogue is so rapid, it's so fast, it goes back and forth between like each individual person, and the fact you know it ends with his dad just being like, "The Lincoln Center call," like that is like a just a jab right to the heart. Like that line, because what's great is that the whole movie and especially in that scene, you're like, wow, fuck this guy. Fuck Andrew. Like, he's mm, such a yeah. dick. Like he's, And yeah. then his dad, like, gives him that one line to be like, oh, you think you're so good? You think you can do this? Where are you right now? Like, you're like, oh, no, now I feel for now I feel for you again, because that is really shitty and that sucks. And it it is pushed. It pushes him back um, and and then causes the drive to kind of start back over again. It's yeah, it's the only thing his dad could say that would actually like hurt his feelings. Basically, you know, targeting 
him, like his, whether it's his physical appearance or like he hasn't succeeded yet or anything, but just like being like, but you don't have Lincoln Center yet, do you? And that is what like breaks his concentration. You feel for yeah. that. And, and yet they're celebrating the kid who's in D3 football. Like, I, I think it's an interesting um, like exercise to think about if uh, like, like the American idea of football, how popular that is versus music and how much people uh, are, are aware of it and um, how much they know about it. Like if those two things were switched and Andrew was being celebrated for being at like, you know, uh, uh, for being at, at like a low, uh, I don't know, like some kind of music program and he's like second chair and like, that's great for him. That's awesome. And yet his cousin over here is, you know, trying out for professional football teams and no one gives him the time of day. Would we think the same way about Andrew for being so uh, hurt about that? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. That's yeah. I don't know. I do think that is, that's important where like uh, Fletcher says at the end, he's like, this is why jazz is dying. Like it doesn't get the respect it deserves. You don't get pushed as hard as they used to, you know, the old greats. So I do think that's a part of it where like Andrew's entire life is this style that the majority of people don't really care about anymore. And that is, you know, another thing that pushes him. He's like, I'm going to be great at something that people don't really consider great as a whole anymore. And Ryan Gosling can finally save it in Damien Chazelle's next movie, <laughs> La La Land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think the next stretch of like literally right after the dinner scene all the way through till his dismissal from Schaefer is like one of the best nonstop like 35, 40 minutes of like any movie of the of recent years. Like it's like a collection of like six scenes and they're all so essential to the movie. Cause I think immediately after that uh, is the second rehearsal where the, he gets caravan and then Connolly tries it and he fucks up. Oh yeah. And then, then we find out about, uh, you know, he breaks up with Nicole and then he has the, next rehearsal and then the final competition it's just like it's so crazy like and you're just glued to it because even that in a co- that conversation with nicole you're just like uh yeah like wow he's he's obviously thought this through he's wrong about probably all of it um and mm-hmm. it's so uncalled for and you just like she's like and he's also he also is kind of stupid because he's like um because she says outright like oh and and you're you know you're going to become one of the greats because you have a pl- you have a, a path that you and you've always known what you wanted to do and i'm just the dumb girl who uh has no path and is just going to bring you down and he's just like that's exactly my point it's yeah. like dude <laughs> it's like, yeah exactly come on man <laughs> i yeah, I think, and in that stretch, like you're talking about, you have the moment where Fletcher gets the call about Sean Casey, and then he has to talk to the whole band, and he plays his recording for them all, and that is where you kind of, like, you 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 have the moment earlier where he talks to his friend at the first uh, competition, and he talks to his daughter, and then you have this moment where you see him cry and talk about his student who was passed away, and you later find out he kills himself, um, or he killed himself, sorry. Like these moments of humanity for Fletcher are just as important and just as like 
you know, they keep you hooked just as much as when he's throwing chairs and he like when he throws the the drum across the room when Andrew is, you know, doing the double time swing. Like it, it is just these moments that make you like you said earlier, Scotty, like, is he doing the right thing? Is he a bad guy for all this? It's it's incredibly well balanced. That, in my opinion, is the scene that won him the Oscar. Yeah. The Sean Casey scene. Because, yes, you can have he's, – he's yelling a lot. He got a lot of great lines. And it's, like, good yelling. Like, it's not like a lot of Oscar performances where the yelling is just, like, you're just doing this to be compelling. But, like, this is actually – like, J.K. Simmons is one of the great yellers in cinema. <laughs> and, you know, he really gets time to cook in this movie. But yeah. that scene, like, how – natural the emotion comes to him like he starts off like kind of distressed but then he's like oh man this kid he was he was something special and was like you know listening he's like you know they 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 didn't see what i saw you know i I saw i saw potential and uh you know andrew kind of feels the same way Uh, and this is after you know we see andrew break his drum and put his hand his bloody hand in a fucking pitcher of ice water and you know just keep pushing through and, you know, then, you know, Fletcher just starts crying. He's like, you know, we lost we lost one of the greats and nobody knows who he is. Um, and and yeah, you're right. Like you said earlier, Quinn, the fact that he can literally go from doing that to immediately, you know, start yelling again because no one could get the 400. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it's incredible. Like, that's kind of the moment where you can breathe a little bit, because obviously it's like it's it's shot pretty much only using two angles it's like the close-up of jk um and it's just that's what makes it so raw is just because it, it it's so it feels so in real time and then there's the uh, reaction shot of of andrew it's it, it's the only it's quote-unquote slow but it's so you can breathe and be like this is what this guy's feeling right now and that's why the performance i think wins is because of the range of emotion he goes through he might even just like be feeling that because of Sean Casey, not because of the empathy, but maybe because of he lost his chance or potentially lost his chance of having the next bird be one of his students. Like Sean Casey could have been that for him. And maybe that's why he, he gets so emotional over it. Scotty, I cut you off a couple times. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Um, I don't know what I was going to, I'm, I'm thinking about now who the other best yellers in cinema are. And the, <laughs> Nick Cage. the only name, the literally the only, the only name I can come up with is Nick Cage in Wicker Man screaming about the bees, not the bees. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, there's that. And then there's, oh my God, Michael Shannon reading the sorority letter. If you guys have seen that, if you haven't seen that, oh my God, it's like the best YouTube video of all time. <laughs> I mean, you got to throw Michael Other Shannon's that, a great one. Yeah. Michael Shannon's a great throw one. Al Pacino in there. Uh, oh, absolutely. He's yeah. I mean, go listen to our son of a woman episode. That's just all. We just yell the whole time. Um, I don't know who these people are. I'll take Nick Cage any day. I have no other thoughts. All right. <laughs> you don't know who Al Pacino is? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised with you, you know. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so back to Whiplash. Um, yeah. So and then, you know, the fact that he makes, you know, he's swapping out Connolly and Tanner and Neiman just doing this whole thing. 
it it gives him more time to cook because you just get to, again you get incredible facial acting from all three of them just being so beaten down and tired and just you know there's like and distressed to the fact like I have not been able to stop and you know he's got the Fletcher's like you know like oh here comes you know uh, get up here with the Patty Mick Irish crowd fucker you know like oh, I, I actually I'm gonna start calling you Flannery. Oh, yeah, Flannery. Flannery. Like, yeah. <laughs> When he asked him if there was a pot of gold under the stool. Oh, yeah. my God. You're adjusting the seat. Oh, That's been your problem this whole time, the seat height. So now you have it. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, that and then the final concert scene, like with the three of them rotating, those are my favorite scenes because it, like that is just his rage, just rotating person to person. And he knows like what what jabs those three guys the most where it's, you know, you find out Tanner is gay. And so he is just beating him down with these like homophobic jokes. And then Andrew gets back up and he's like, Oh, looks like mommy ran away for the right reasons. It's like, Oh, such a sore spot. (laughs) Oh, relax. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And at the end, I've always loved that the last time that Andrew gets up there and he's like, you know, maybe it's time to finally bring this home. And he's like, don't stop. And he just keeps yelling at him. And when he, it's like one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is when he is circling back around and it's right before he stops him. And JK just keeps, he's just like, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Yeah. Like, and you hear this like steady, like um, low notes on a piano in the background. It's just like that to me is, it's like, that's disturbing filmmaking on a level that I like, honestly haven't seen in a very long time like just how that is the push you know it's just keep playing like he just keeps yelling at him like not to stop and then finally at the end of it you know you are in the part like it's it's insane and that in and of itself when you see the rehearsal end and you get that great shot of andrew walking in slow motion down the alleyway in uh in that like the, the blue light he is just like there's no going back. Yeah, no way. Yeah. I also, I love the line when he finally gets the part and he says, alternates clean the blood off my drum kit. Because <laughs> Andrew has just bled all over it <laughs> from just playing nonstop. So heartless. Yeah, it literally takes. Matt, have you ever bled from drumming? Uh, I've gotten some really bad blisters, but I've, n- I've never bled. I'm, I'm, right. Not that I can think of. No, you're not trying yeah. hard. Enough. Yeah, he's no Charlie. I got to switch to conditional grip. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, grip never, I've never bled from singing, but I've never bled oh. from singing. But thank you, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Did you cut yourself when you picked up the drum the first time, Scotty? <laughs> I I broke my leg actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, because the. The um the technique that they're using, like the the way that they hold the the sticks, is like very different from because like he has it one in like the side and then one is like the traditional grip, so like that like it's just it's completely in the in the the crease in your thumb and he's just always got that red mark like right there in the webbing between his uh, thumb and his index finger oh, yeah. yeah and it's like oh my god like it's just. And he just keeps trying to cover it with band-aids. Like he takes like yeah. a two and like wraps them. It's like, ah, that's not enough, dude. You, yeah. Like it's not going to do think it. That comes down to yeah. him just wanting to emulate Buddy Rich, which Buddy Rich is such like a, you know, condescending, you know, he would berate 
his band members for the slightest mistakes and he would honestly he has he has this video on youtube pretty much just talking shit about anyone who doesn't hold hold the sticks like he does in traditional grip he's like oh if you're holding them like this oh it's good for playing tiffany but oh that everybody just wants to play rock blah 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 and you know andrew really starts emulating him with yeah his berating of other other students you know johnny utah and everything and he's another really big theme in the movie that I, i really enjoyed yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy that he has a rant about how you hold your sticks like that. That makes a ton of sense now. Yeah, definitely go listen to the, I think that it's like the bus tapes of Buddy Rich. It's like a 12-minute video on YouTube. Okay. It is fascinating. I mean, it's it's just him yelling. I guess I don't remember where they were, but like he's just yelling at his band members because the performance was really bad. And he, he literally yells at every single section. Like he'll, he yells at the saxophones and he yells at the trumpets oh. and he yells at the percussion. He yells at everybody. And it's brutal. <laughs> I got to check that out. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, let's get to, I want to talk about the big, uh, the, the second competition that they do. Um, because I think that that scene rivals for like, it's like a top three scene. I think it's, you know, not my tempo, the the ending and this competition scene, because there's like a, there's so much going on that really puts Andrew like on the wrong side of everything. Like the fact that he when the bus breaks down and the car company uh, or the rental car company is like just about to close and the he leaves his sticks there like that's another thing that this movie gets really well is like things are happening that irritate him that are completely out of his control, which makes it 10 times more frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) Like the fact that he, yeah, the cabs are supposed to be there. The bus breaks down. He gets there late. Like it's just, he just can't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's frustrating because you're like, Oh, come on. No, you're almost there. Go. Even, even when he's, he's left again after being chastised and he had to go back to the rental company and the dude's on the phone and he's like, I got locked out of my car. It's whatever. And then the GPS goes off and the guy knows he's in a car and it's like, Oh, like just not even, he can't even keep the respect of these other bandmates anymore. Cause now they know he had to go drive somewhere. Just like every little thing has gone wrong until he finally is screaming on the phone and missing his turn and disaster. Oh, when he gets hit by that truck, I like I did not see that coming like at all. Like I had like this was one of those movies where I had built up so much about it, like in my head, like I'd, I watched the trailer so many times. I watched the uh, the not my tempo scene to up until it like cut off. Um, but that was the one really big surprise that I was not expecting. Just him just getting smashed by this truck. And he still runs to get to the performance because he's like, you know, yep. back in back in rehearsal, he's like, you know, those are my it's, it's my part. Those are my sticks. I'll be on your stage. And <laughs> it's anything. Yeah, I um, I, I I'm glad that we're talking about this one, because I think that this like little this little sequence here is is possibly my favorite besides the uh, finale. Um, and interestingly enough, I wrote a paper about this for. Uh, frankly, I love movies alumnus uh, Stephen Tropiano, uh, and the, the, this this whole this whole sequence, and it's it's like uh, the pressure is just in like hearing the band warm up as Andrew is running back to the car rental company, and you see the clock, and then you see the clock as he gets back in the car, you see him pull out, and then you you get like those couple minutes of him just like screaming at the phone. Or sorry, a couple seconds of him screaming at the phone in the car before the car crash, and it's just like. 
it's it's intense because it brings together the the music and and the anticipation playing behind him and it's very like nice music it sounds okay with a, out of context um and yeah the, the you one you th- you think the thing that you think would be a release in the car crash you think like you know cut see him in the hospital his dad's with him no because it's not over he has to keep going and he stumbles to the school <sighs> you're right that you do yeah. hear i forgot that you do hear the band warming up as he's as he's trying to get there. Like that's so cool. And again, the editing is so good because you know, the inner cut of the speedometer, him putting the key in the, um, in the ignition, closing the door, the car driving out of the parking lot and the insert of the clock. Um, like when he's in the car and like after it's crashed and it's like, it ticks to five thirty two. he has this look on his face. He's just like, no. And then he runs and, I always have loved, you know, this performance because of how once he gets to the school and he pushes, you know, Conley out of the way, Conley like gives this look to Fletcher and there's this really quick shot of Fletcher when he looks at him and he's just like it, Fletcher in that moment like honestly, he like he's just like, "Oh my god." Like yeah. but he's like, "We're not stopping." You know, he said, "You're here, then we're going." Even cuz after that once they finally start playing, you see Fletcher walk up and he's like, Andrew, what the fuck? But he's not angry. He's like, he's stunned that this guy can barely play. He's barely holding his drumsticks and he's still like, he won't get out of the chair. And, you know, in that moment, I think he really is nervous for him. Like as just a human being, he's like, oh, this kid's going to die on my stage. It's like, it's like you were talking about Josh with the, like the horror elements, like he he's playing and you know, he's bleeding. He drops his stick. He's like fuddling for it. And then he picks it up. And then finally the camera pans up. Fletcher's just right there. Like <laughs> kind of scares yeah. you. And he, oh. Yeah. The, I wanted to say that in, in the script, this scene is a little bit more brutal just because, and uh, not because of anything that Fletcher does, but I, and I'm, I'm honestly glad they didn't do this because I, I don't really know how they would have done it. Um, but it's it still gets the same effect. So in the so he he drops the stick in his left hand and he's trying to and he's like clearly in a lot of pain. He's bleeding from like you know the the, the upper part of his hand, like the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, in the script, I think it says that his like middle finger or index finger maybe is like basically bent backwards Ooh. because of how like it it snapped in the car wreck and that's what causes him to drop it and you see it and it like, I think you hear like a crapping, a cracking sound or something as he's drumming. And that's what causes him to like fully stop. Um, but like, I, you don't really need that. That's another thing. Like, again, I don't know how they would have done that. Like it would have maybe some sort of prosthetic or something. I don't know, but like just having his hand bloody and you can, yeah, you can definitely see he's like barely holding the stick like in his hand, like as he's hitting the snare and then the, uh, the lower drums, like, it it hurts him to do this. And so when he finally stops at the end, he's like just bent over and he's just like, I can't like, I, I, I just can't. Um, and just that quick shot of Neiman, you're done. Like so quiet and so matter of fact, it's just like, ah, oh, it is. And you'd think the scene would be done there, but nope. Andrew tears this drum set oh. apart and tackles Fletcher to the ground. <laughs> like It's unbelievable. He broke two of uh, J.K. Simmons's ribs on that tackle, is what I hear. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god! Yeah, I did hear that. 
man. I'm I glad mean, that's in there. That's that's crazy. But I, I he's threatening to kill him. Like, and Andrew is going to murder this guy in the middle of it because he is just at his breaking point. And even after, like, he's he's a he's covered in blood, and. And all Fletcher has to say to him is like, all right, you're out of the band. Sorry, kid. But he, you know, he has snapped back to that mentor role, I guess, or that, you know, he's trying to mold him into being the next bird. Like it is, it's brutal to watch that go down and like to watch Andrew's reaction when he realizes what happened. Yeah. And then the next scene with, we find out, I think the most important thing in this scene, well, there's two things. One is the fact that we learned that Sean Casey actually had killed himself as opposed to being in a car accident, which I think is, you know, another brilliant part of the writing is that, you know, we hear that he was in a car accident before, then Andrew gets into a car accident and then he find out he actually killed himself because of this psychological trauma. We realize that Andrew is pushing himself in the exact same way that Sean Casey was um, in his, you know, in his own way. Um, by getting into that car accident, still pushing on and like almost, you know, killing Fletcher basically. Um, and finally he kind of has this moment of reality where he's like, yeah, this, I can't like, I, I can't keep doing this like anymore and throws all this stuff away. And, um, and the music again is so good because it's the higher piano and just the, it's really slow and methodical and just these long shots on these characters. And, the other thing that I think is interesting is that um, uh, his dad, played excellently by Paul Reiser, has like yeah. that line. He's like, um, you know, I, you think I would let I would sit by and uh, uh, let him do these things to my son? Like, why would you let him get away with what he did to you? And I think it's interesting. The other thing I really picked up on this rewatch is that how complacent um, Paul Reiser's character is. Like, obviously, he doesn't fully know what's going on, but it's kind of foreshadowed in the beginning when they're at the movie theater for the first time and they're just kind of chatting um, and the guy walks behind him with the popcorn and deliberately bumps into him and Paul Reiser's the one who apologizes. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh no, he's like, um, like he's the one who is just completely like just courses like right by and just kind of lets anything happen to him. And, you know, at the end, you know, you can kind of read, Paul Reiser is thinking in in there so you can kind of read uh now that he he actually can't control what Fletcher is doing uh to Andrew because he's he's performing and he's doing you know he's going crazy up there um it's it's such a good I mean yes Paul Reiser's not as um you know as prominent in the story as uh Andrew or uh Fletcher is but he still has a really good place yeah, I I also love in the again the final scene where you keep bringing it up like he's watching in the wings because he runs from the audience and is waiting in the curtains behind him and like you just you you have that moment where like as a father as a parent you have to watch your kid just get broken in front of you know you assume hundreds of people it's really brutal and he does that just again with facial expression it's perfectly done he he does he he is like the safety net the entire story to you know catch andrew when he is falling and to you know to his credit from his perspective like this is insane what is happening but it's because he doesn't understand what what andrew's actual goal is how how high he intends to climb 
and he finally does understand when he, you know, sees Andrew perform in the uh, final scene. The f- and the fact that he just, you know, seeing that insert shot of dismissal, like you still feel bad for Andrew. The fact that he like, you know, the dream is kind of over. Um, and then, you know, we get that great quick shot of what do you just tell me what to say and then cut to the summer. Yeah. Um, it's a really good use of a time jump and you get to see Andrew. He's obviously he's, he's able to now live alone, but he's working at this, uh, this coffee shop or something. Like a sandwich and, shop. Yeah. Yeah. Something. And he's just like defeated. Like even when like I was even when his like a customer comes up to him at the shop, he's just like, hey, like <laughs> yeah. he couldn't give less of a fuck about being there. <laughs> and like the highlight of his life is now just the pantry being stocked with gushers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> gushers, baby. I mean, I don't blame it. <laughs> my man loves gushers. You know, he's there was yeah. a, he needs. There was stock. another really interesting, like, quick shot that I noticed. Like after that, once he's walking, I think to the club where Fletcher's playing or something, and you know, he sees this street drummer, you know, drumming on these paint buckets and stuff. And even though Andrew yeah. is kicked out of Schaefer, disgraced, you know, tackled his conductor. He still gives this guy like a dismissive, like almost like condescending look. And he still feels that he's like better than him, even though this guy's clearly pretty good and just trying to make ends meet and stuff. And I think that really brings up, you know, another theme for me, which is there's a lot of ways you can kind of approach like playing music. You don't have to be the very best. You don't have to be, you know, Charlie Parker. You can just play because you love it and you, you shouldn't look down on other people for that. I, I don't want to, you know, date this too much, but, you know, we're talking about this three days after Soul just came out. Soul is such the opposite approach to jazz. Like, have you guys all oh, seen yeah. that? No, point? not yet. No, no, don't say anything. I will, I will just say, like, why, I watched Soul uh, for the second time right before watching this for this recording. And, I mean, having that, uh, like... Uh, like back to back where you have this animated Pixar movie that is looking at the idea of, you know, what it means to have a purpose and what it's like to be a musician. And then you have this, which is, you know, if you're a musician, that should be all you are. It is a brutal, like, you know, back and forth mentality on passions and purposes and all that. It's a really interesting uh, back and forth, I think. Yeah, that's a cool juxtaposition. Jazz just translates well to movies. Go no, ahead. I just Matt. was saying that's a really interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. jazz is just the best, man. It, it just works in so many ways. Um, <laughs> and so then he goes to the. I think it's great that the we already talked about like the coffee shop scene, but that's like where or the 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 jazz club scene where he's just you know he says that you know Schaefer, or um, that Fletcher was. Um, fired because of someone in quote unquote Sean Casey's grade and um, you know he you know this is where the moral conundrum kind of comes in it's like you know n- you know is there a line for what he does you know is um, you know the real Charlie Parker wouldn't get discouraged you know but I you know the one thing I can say is that I tried you know I actually fucking tried to have my own Charlie Parker and you know he's very much like beaten down too like they're both beaten down in in different ways um, or it, actually in, in similar ways. And when he asks him, when he asks Andrew to, 
um, uh, to to be in the JVC festival, that light like it ignites in him again. You can see him like, yes, okay, you know, I gotta, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. That that uh, Miles Teller smirk, like he's just ready to get back into it. Um, and I mean, should we just talk about the finale? Is it time? Should we just get into it? I'm down. I'm down. Uh, we we already kind of are. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> One of the uh, most intense final 15 minutes of like any movie like i had heard like i had seen people review this movie and say how intense the finale was and how just and i had thought that it was some like i like i was thinking like parasite level ending like people are gonna die and like (laughs) (laughs) and families are gonna be broken up forever but no it's just a it's a performance but like he the fact that what Fletcher does when he goes out there and he's like, what do you think? I'm fucking stupid. I know it was you. And there's that great, like when he's like, we got a new tune called upswinging. And then it quickly like dollies in on Andrew. And he's like, Oh no. Like uh, and Fletcher just turns back around and it's like, you evil fuck. <laughs> I, I love that first song upswinging where like you have the, the upright bass player. And he's like, the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> the rest of the band is so annoyed. And Fletcher knows he's like, I just ruined this kid's career. Ha ha. That's revenge. Like, Oh, it's so good. Just watching him like, you know, be a fish out of water. And there. like the lights are going it's on ter- him and he's just like, it's, it's that moment when everyone turns their pages and he just doesn't know what to do. It's, it's, it's so like eerie. And I think that this involves the conversation of whether or not Fletcher is a good person, because this does just kind of seem like a mean thing to do as revenge for, you know, getting him kicked out of Schaefer. Um, but he like, it seems to Fletcher that, uh, Andrew took away his dream too. He he disconnected him from all the young musicians that could have been that star that uh, you know Fletcher was looking for. So, in in that respect, I still don't know if I can answer the question saying he's a bad guy. I, th- I think I think that this is one. This is the moment where you're right. I think that this is the part where he. This is not to help Andrew. This is definitely more so to be like, hey, fuck you you this is to get back and he's like yeah i guess you don't have it and then when he comes back out you know after he has that moment with his dad um when he comes back out and is like you know fletcher kind of looks at him like um okay uh well he's a little nervous like i wasn't expecting him to come back and then andrew just kicks right into caravan i definitely don't think he was expecting that or expecting like anything else to happen um and then as the performance goes on fletcher's like okay, I understand. I understand what we got to do now. And just to see when Andrew kicks into caravan, like cuts Fletcher off. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Total control. And for, it's for the one first of the, time. Yes. For the first time he has the power in the relationship. Literally. He even says, I'll cue you in to Fletcher. Like, you know, he has taken control of the entire band at that point. And it's, Oh, it's so good to find like the catharsis you get when Fletcher is shut up is so good <laughs> multiple times as well like and he comes up to him he's like i'm gonna fucking blah, 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 and then psh, just hits the splash symbol in his face oh it's amazing yeah and then after that i always loved when he uh when he is 
doing the he's playing and he cues the bass player in and there's this like kind of wide shot and you just see you see Miles Teller mouth fuck you to JK. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, what were you gonna uh, say? Matt? I was gonna say in the time he comes up to him after that, he's like he's like, Andrew, like what are you doing, man? Like he actually calls him by his first name, not by his incorrect pronunciation of his last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the power dynamic switches, I think, several times throughout that because most of the time you see that Andrew's involved, like or is it um, is in control um, because you know he you know cues everyone in and then lets the band come in and he's really going and you know just the the inserts I like all of the inserts and the um, the quick cuts of the symbol and the out of focus and each drum has its own camera and then there's the wide there's the side there's the other side like they have they've filmed like in every possible direction. And they filmed in slow motion and they filmed um, like in uh, had it sped up like it's it, it literally is. And I said this you know before on here that it's the editing makes it visual jazz because of how much energy it is. And you see everything possibly <laughs> happening and all of the energy just coming into one single performance, like especially when it, you know, when it dies out, like after the song's over and Andrew just keeps going and then you just see the symbol going and then you kind of just hear oh, the symbol and then it starts to pick back up. And then when he goes back down to doing just the and that's when the dynamic switches again. And then Fletcher's in control. Back in control again. Oh, because he finally he finally got what he wanted and now he's willing to be a partner. I think that is that is what makes this scene so so good is when you finally have uh the just the camera swinging back and forth between the two of them where you have andrew Mm -hmm. doing like the drum solos and he has his control and that it will just swing at like lightning speed back around to fletcher and he's conducting the rest of the band but like with andrew's uh like you know isolated moments in mind like you finally see the two of them on the same level it's not andrew having an outburst and taking control or fletcher demanding control by being an asshole like it is finally the two of them working together and it took all of this you know brutality to get there it is so it is such like a perfect uh condensed ending for them and to have their battle finally be just kind of like a stalemate and they're both happy with it it's crazy it's it literally like as the first time i watched it i remember because yeah you get that him speeding up the snare drum and then it slow-mos in, in complete silence there the shots of just their eyes of Fletcher's eyes and he nods and then Andrew's like yeah and then he cues him in and then it cuts when he hits that final symbol like I remember I stood up and I felt like I could like just run three miles <laughs> I had so much fucking energy mm-hmm. oh, and was God, just yeah. so charged and ready to just be like yes let's go like because it, it's like Again, it's literally like 10 minutes of just nonstop drumming and that you can it's like nail biting. You're just like, I, I I'm so tense right now. I like I can't even move. And then finally, once the credits hit, you're just like, oh, my God, like it's so cathartic. It's just it is an amazing, amazing ending. You don't realize you've been holding your breath for 15 minutes watching these guys <laughs> just go all out. You've been holding your breath for two hours. Like, again, there's, there's, 
this is such a bizarre ending because you don't the, the only the only like resolution you get is that little like smile and nod from Fletcher. That's it. You do not see him become, you know, a great musician. You don't see them like shake hands afterwards. It's none of that because the all of the intensity just leads to this one moment where they both get what they want. And then it just like, all right, have a good night. You know, you know, uh, throw out your popcorn on the way out. See you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fletcher, you know, you know, he can't say good job to him. So that's that's just as close as he's going to get to doing that. And another reason this is so good is not only is it like the climax of the movie, but like it's the climax of both their character arcs. Like they're both getting what they were going for this entire time. You know, Andrew being the best or on his way to being the best. And, you know, Fletcher getting his Charlie Parker. Yeah. I mean, question for you guys with that. Like, I just thought about this. I, I think in my head, I'm pretty dead set. Fletcher's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's yeah. a, like a super douchebag. But is he like, is he a good teacher in the sense? Like he really did push Andrew to be the best he could possibly be, at least in this concert. Like he finally got what he wanted. Is he a good like mentor? I think we can answer that question in the analysis section. So let's go to analyze this. <laughs> That's what we like on the show, transitions. So to answer your question, Quinn, no, I don't I don't I really don't think he's a good guy, but I think that Again, the question of it depends on your read or the answer to that question of whether he's a good mentor depends on your reading of the film. So the first time that I watched it, I thought, yes, um, what he did. I don't know if it was totally justified, but like, yes, he got to where he wanted to be. He became the next Charlie Parker and he um, he became, uh, you know, what Fletcher wanted him to be. Uh and it's triumphant. You're like, yes, we fucking did it. Um, but the, the subsequent times I've watched it, I've taken a kind of a more a different reading, especially with the shot of Paul Reiser's face in between the door when he's watching him. You just have this feeling of like, oh, my God, he's completely changed. And he's because of how manipulative it, it was. I think that, you know, Andrew has, you know, changed and been so psychologically damaged because of this whole experience. It's like, you know, it is it's that is part of it is is disturbing because of how he's been affected by it and so i think that if he's a good mentor in the sense he got what he wanted yes but he like kind of destroyed this kid in my mind yeah it's tough tough. you want to go ahead matt no you got it i i feel like yes he accomplished his goal of being you know of being the mentor that got the person to where they needed to be but let's not forget that he also played a role in someone like killing themselves because they weren't at the, they, they weren't able to like get, get to that point And he, you know, pushed them as hard as he pushed Andrew. So he's definitely not, <laughs> he, he, I think his perspective and, and just how far he's willing to go to achieve his goal is a bit warped. Um, and so maybe not the best mentor people have, you know, made, made it big without this person pushing them as far as Fletcher pushes people. So yeah, I, I would say no. Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, I mean, he's the T te- he's the conductor for the best studio band in college in, in the country. So clearly he's 
a good teacher. I, I, I don't think anyone can deny that. He knows the charts, front and back, everything. But yeah, when it comes to a mentor, you know, you got to be, you can't just be like that. You got, you got to know when to stop, I feel like. And you got to know when you're discouraging people. And he, he think clearly Fletcher thinks, you know, oh, the next Charlie Parker wouldn't get discouraged. Like clearly, I mean, Sean Casey clearly did get discouraged from, from everything. Maybe not outwardly, but it, it took a big toll on him. And I don't think that makes him a good leader for that or a, a good mentor for that, because I think the negative outweighs the positive. The, the, the main reason I ask is because of that scene at the jazz club where he's, where he's, you know, he talks about why jazz is dying is because nobody's willing to push anymore. Like everybody's being a pansy about it. And, you know, as someone who, you know, I'm not really a musician per se, I, I've never been in that culture. So like to look on it from that perspective where like you watch this whole movie and it is just brutality and exhaustion and blood and like literally blood, sweat and tears. Like, and then he says that and it's like, is that just what that life is about? Is that just what these people go through? Is this the norm? And this is just sort of a look into the darker side of music. And that was the main, like, I just thought about that after this watch where I was like, maybe this is normal. And this brutality is true because you always hear about the turmoil that musicians will go through or like really popular artists to get to where they have to go. Uh, Yeah. So I wasn't sure if this, if Fletcher comes across as an absolute villain or if he is an, an, an experience that a lot of musicians can share. I think the thing, the main thing with this movie is that it doesn't, it doesn't have an answer. And yeah. I'm personally fine with that. I think that it's important that it talks about these questions and it shows you like the more times you watch it, you see it from different sides. You're like, yes, Andrew achieved what he wanted to as well. But then you're like, oh shit, Fletcher was in control the entire time. Like this is, this is awful. Um, and it doesn't, that's the question and the film doesn't have an answer and that's fine. It, it knows oh, that it doesn't yeah. have an answer. I just think that, um, and like this movie gets compared a lot with, um, black Swan because I think that they have a very similar, um, kind of structure in that it's, they're both about obsessed artists and people who will push themselves mentally and physically to achieve greatness. And, um, you know, one great performance or one like black Swan, it's about, you know, it's about, uh, ballet and then this is about jazz drumming but they follow similar beats in that way um uh but it is black swan's a bit more disturbing than this movie but you definitely see the drive in both of them and this idea that anything less than great is still not good enough like e- like even something that's amazing like i don't even know if andrew's going to be totally um satisfied with himself after this like i think he probably will be but he's always going to be pushing himself um and i don't really care what happens after this movie or after this night like i'm it's so contained and so complete and he achieved what he wanted to and anything after that it doesn't really interest me um but i think that yeah it's a you know a lot of people do go through that and we've we've already talked about it a lot that inner turmoil and that um that drive for greatness you know can end up doing more harm than it does good so I, I think that that's kind of the main big thing with analysis, but I mean, we've talked about this movie to no end. And I think that, you know, to bring it all home <laughs> in, in a good way, in a good way uh, to bring it all home. I think it, I, I want 
we got to pose the big question. Why do we love this movie and how does it add to our love of movies in general? So uh, I want to start with you, Scotty. What do you think? Um, I love this movie because just like from a from like a writing perspective, they took the theme of like what it means to be the best, what it means to be like successful to the highest degree. And they were like, you know what, the, the, like, like a, a theme that vague and they wrote a perfect story with it. And I think that I, I love this movie because like in that vein, the two story arcs of the person who is going to bring someone to, uh, to greatness and Fletcher and the person who is, you know, squeaking and going to be great in Andrew, uh, they come together in uh, their, their story arcs, both combine in the climax and it's, it's also very visually pleasing and, and audibly pleasing. And uh, for all those reasons, I love Whiplash. Matt? Yeah, like I said, this is my favorite movie, untouchable movie for me. And honestly, before seeing this movie, like I definitely didn't have the appreciation that I did that, that I do now for, for film. And, you know, whether it was the amount this movie captivated me or whether it was the end that it had with me for the, for music, but it just hit at such a perfect time in my life. And just literally, it was almost like my like awakening for film, if that's <laughs> condescending enough, but uh, it's, it's like I said, perfect movie, perfect soundtrack, which I listen to all the time. And yeah. And Quinn. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would just be echoing, you know, a lot of what Scotty and Matt say where like this movie was in the, like when I was starting to really become conscious, cautious, con- bleh, conscious of, you know, like what it means to analyze a movie and what makes a movie good and bad and what, you know, different uh, unique things can really stand out and make a movie as phenomenal as this one is. And I think I watched this at a really pivotal point in, you know, 2014 early 2015 where like it is just everything that makes you want to strive to be great and it is also that cautionary tale and it is so such a mix of inspiring and scary and foreboding and brutal and you know even beautiful in that last scene where like it all works out for them for just that that little moment in time where like they finally find the right frequency like it is I don't, it, I don't know. Like it's not a coming of age movie, like you said before, but it is a movie about like honing a craft and to watch that at a time where I was really realizing how important movies and film in general was for me and entertainment in general was for me. It was, it, it's left a huge mark in that, in that way. All beautiful answers. And yeah, it's hard for me not to echo some of the things you said. I mean, it's an all timer for me. Um, it was on my best of the decade list of the 2010s, but it's like a top 20 favorite movie for me, honestly. <clears throat> um, and it's 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 a perfect representation of artistry, like on screen. Like you don't have to be a musician to appreciate it. And you don't really honestly, you don't really have to be an artist to appreciate it. You can, you know, be someone who has just been trying to achieve something in life and pushing and striving like doing as hard as you as as much as you can and going as hard as you can to achieve something and you can see yourself in this movie and you know for me i think it's important uh as someone who you know and it's and it's a movie like the fact that damien chazelle achieved all of this with just one movie and you know the awards that it won and the accolades that it got and the career that it set up for him um 
it was extremely inspiring. Like, like I said earlier, everything fell right into place. It all came at the right time. Uh, and the, it, it just, everything is about it. It just makes me want to, it makes me want to write. It makes me want to direct, but it also, you know, it, it is important to say you have to know the limit, you know, like I honestly think what Andrew says is kind of right there. Is, I think there is a line uh, and you have to know that for yourself. You kind of have to set it for yourself in order to uh, set yourself up for greatness. Uh, and again, visually uh, uh, immaculate, not only do the shots look good, but the way that they're cut together is unlike any other movie that you can see. I mean, yes, quick cutting, but in the best possible way. And it's honestly, it's timeless. It's a movie that we're going to be talking about for years and years now. It's one that even after, you know, it's been in our lives for almost six years now, you can go back to it and just be like, it's still, it still works. Uh, you know, it hasn't aged um, poorly at all. Um, nothing is in it that really dates the movie. There's nothing in it that's, you know, offensive. I mean, I mean, yes, he says offensive things, but we know the context of what they're being said in. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's honestly incredible incredibly inspiring movie 100 percent. yeah absolutely any final thoughts before we sign off boys uh there's there's one more quote that i wanted to say and it's when fletcher is holding up the the binder and he says if i ever find one of these lying around again i swear to fucking god i will stop being so polite see someone and say <laughs> get the fuck out of my sight before i demolish you <laughs> i can still fucking see you mini me <laughs> yep uh. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for doing this. This was awesome. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks to all the guys for coming on the show. It was great to talk to all of them again about a movie that we clearly really loved. If you want more Frankly, I Love Movies content, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook at Frankly, I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for more recent reviews of movies that I'm just watching in my free time. Frankly, I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Productions podcast network where you can listen to Ravnica Avengers, our real play D&D podcast, and our Attack on Titan recap podcast, Tea Time with Titans. New episodes of that are out every single Wednesday. And finally, tune in in two weeks when my old screenwriting professor, David Negrin, joins us to talk about love, redemption, and frogs in Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 epic, Magnolia. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.